Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, and uh, just some uh, quick facts to share with you all. This will be broadcast number 58, so next week we'll be broadcast number 59, which gives me around 30 hours of material that I've been able to record over the last 13 months, and I was working out this morning that if I was to add up my Matthew, Mark, and Luke Bible studies, Acts would still just uh, be more in length compared to those three books combined. So it gives you an idea as to how much material we covered over the last 13 months, and yet Matthew is 28 chapters, and that ran to just under 12 hours. Acts the Apostles is 28 chapters, and this will run just shy of 30 hours. Quite remarkable. But for this morning, please open your Bibles, like I say, to Acts chapter 27. And let's start, if we may, in verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. Literal people, which you could have found had you wanted to, after getting your hands on Acts the Apostles, and asked them, did you really have Paul on your boat, on your ship? Was he really one of your companions? And they would have said, yes, he most certainly was. And yet, if you get your hands on the Quran or the Book of Mormon, there are people and places that, according to scholars, don't even exist. But uh, Luke tells you how it was determined that we should sail into Italy. Dr. Luke, of course, is the narrator, and he would be joining Paul on this dangerous journey. And Paul was delivered unto a certain individual called Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. Look at verse 2. And entering to a ship of Aritium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coasts of Asia. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. Once again, a literal person has been cited in the word of God. And you could have gone to this person had you wanted to and inquired more about this trip. And I want to stress that to you this morning because as a Bible believer, I'm very much aware that what we believe is being scrutinized more than ever before. And yet, unlike other theists, unlike other people who hold to faith or religion, they can't offer what they claim to believe to be factual. And I've made the case before that not only is Islam questionable when it comes to their founder, not only is the content of the Book of Mormon questionable when it comes to its alleged writer, but other religions are also questionable. For example, if you were to get a hold of some of Buddha's writings, his writings were written after he died, like a thousand years after he died, and yet there are Buddhists all over the world who follow him, who believe he is something special, and yet his writings were written much later, after he died. And I even believe that they're written by people who didn't even know him. But more on that later on, perhaps. Look at verse 3, please. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul, and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Paul was very much in the will of the Lord, and Paul, unlike Jonah, wanted to preach to the Gentiles. When Jonah was sent to the Gentiles, he went with great dissatisfaction. He loathed the Gentiles, whereas Paul loved the Gentiles. And because Paul was greatly beloved by the Lord, because Paul had a great love for the Gentiles, Almighty God has opened the heart of Julius to show Paul great kindness. And I guess this would be a picture of you and I treating those that are 
A, enemies of the cross, or B, not yet saved, kindness. Because we weren't always saved ourselves. Look at verse 4, please. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed unto Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. What I love about Acts 27 is the attention to detail. And as we read over the next 44 verses, it's almost as if Dr. Luke was a sailor. It's almost as if Dr. Luke was a fisherman. But his attention to detail, his reference to Cyprus and uh, Macedonia and Italy is a great picture of somebody who knew his geography. And it's fair to say that this piece of scripture from this morning won't be much in the sense of a doctrinal study. We've covered all of the main material over the last, let's see now, this is month number 13, broadcast 58. I guess we've covered all the main material up until Acts 19, 20, 21, 22 or thereabouts. But for those that love geography, for those that are aware of Europe, for those that live in the Mediterranean area, these areas, this uh, reference to landmarks will be known to you. Look at verse 4. And when we had sailed over the sea of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria, sailing into Italy, and put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Samoni, and hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, now whereunto was a city of Lacia. Now much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Now every piece of scripture has one area which we can all agree on, when it comes to understanding it, and that is spiritual. You can't go wrong when you spiritualize a piece of scripture. And I think we can spiritualize verse 10 and apply it to a picture of salvation, a warning. Because here, Paul says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. So this ship is going to be a type of Christ. This ship will be a type of Noah's Ark. And this ship could be a type of those that go through the Great Tribulation. But like I say, when it comes to doctrine, you won't get much doctrine from Acts 27. But here, verse 10, the warning goes out. And 10, of course, is a number of the Gentiles. So here, Paul, as a Jew, he is speaking to Gentiles. And again, like Jonah, will be sent to the Gentiles. Here, Paul is very much in control. And it's important that we don't lose sight of that. Look at verse 11, please. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. There's a picture of rejection. There's a picture of, you've got your religion, I've got mine. You've got your beliefs, I've got mine. Look at 12. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenix and there to winter which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Once again, landmarks, real places like Crete, have been sighted. And this shows me that the writer of the Bible is very much interested in detail. I mean attention to detail. He's going to judge everybody that has ever lived, and he's going to judge you by your thoughts, and your words, and your deeds. He sees everything, and uh, that is something that we as say people should be on the one hand, 
pleased to know because that will feed into our reward at the judgment seat. And yet, on the other hand, it should be something that we should be fearful of because for some of us, we are going to be chastised at the judgment seat of the Lord. 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosened thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempest wind called Eurocycon. And when the ship was caught, I could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. I don't think Luke was a fisherman, but as I say, and I'll say it again, the attention to detail that is being offered here suggests that Luke perhaps had more experience of the world of fishing or sailing than perhaps we give him credit for. 16. Running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergoing the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, struck sail, and so were driven. This boat is about to capsize, this boat is about to sink, and this boat, one more time, is a picture of the ark, a picture of Christ, and possibly a picture of those that are going to go through the tribulation. 18. And we've been exceedingly tossed with a tempest. The next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. All hands to the pump, literally. And you were told that through much tribulation you would enter into the kingdom of God. Not concerning your works, of course. You can't own your way into heaven. But when it comes to rewards, when it comes to your place in the millennium, then yes, it will be dependence on what you did after you got saved. And I still think these verses mirror what will happen during the tribulation at the end of the tribulation when the lord comes back matthew 25 to judge those that have survived the tribulation and some will be rewarded and some will be condemned 20 and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us all hope that we should be saved was then taken away this is luke speaking by the way not paul now paul is very much in control verse 10 And he will give several warnings about what is occurring and what they need to do. But Dr. Luke is giving his account, inspired by the Holy Ghost, of course, concerning his understanding of such an event. 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. This is Paul's second warning. Verse 10. Number one, twenty-one, number two. Except you repent, you should all likewise perish. You were told up until the second warning, up until the second admonition of a heretic, you were then to rebuke such a person. Which means this, you give two warnings to a heretic, and then you correct him, you rebuke him, and you separate from him. And I think we can continue to spiritualize these verses and say this, that we can warn a sinner at least twice about judgment, and then maybe start to separate from such a person. But what you don't want to do is keep casting your pearls before swine. 22. And now exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be of no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. What a picture of amazing grace. You've got Paul, a saved Jew, with Dr. Luke, a saved Jew, with over 200 unsaved Gentiles. And Paul, 22, with great confidence, is able to say that there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now he's implying that the ship is going to sink, but that those on board are going to be spared. And this goes uh, back to apostolic foreknowledge. And I'll come back to that in a moment. 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, 
whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all men that sail with thee, the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, a Christophany, concerning Jesus Christ, whose I am and whom I serve. That's a great scripture. Saying, quote, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, the most wicked man in the world around this time, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee, all those on board, Paul, all 276 are going to arrive safely. Yes, the boat will capsize. Yes, the boat will sink. But I'm going to keep all those on board safe. And this goes back one more time to the Ark of Christ, Noah's Ark. Jesus Christ being the captain of our salvation. And those that go into the tribulation, those that get saved in the tribulation, are kept saved. I don't think we can read Acts 27 and apply it to those of us living today in the church age. I'm sure some people would like to do that, but I'm not overly sure that we can or should even attempt to do that. Let's leave it for those in the tribulation. 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. An exceptional example. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. So 26. Cross-reference it back to 22. Highlights Paul's apostolic knowledge. Paul knew what was around the corner. Like Peter knew what was around the corner. And yet from memory I think it's Galatians 5 uh, verse 10 or verse 13. Where Paul is lamenting that there are false teachers that are going around. Teaching heresies and false doctrines. And he says whoever these people are I wish they were cut off. He didn't know who they were. Because when he wrote Galatians that was later in his life later during the time of the apostles and the jewish apostolic sign gifts were receding and yet next week we'll see from 28 how paul would do one more miracle before they completely dried up but 26 22 make it clear to me that paul was still privileged to receive apostolic foreknowledge he knew where they were going and here it is referred to as a certain island being in Malta, of course, from 28 verse 1. But look at uh, 27, Acts 27, 27. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Aradia, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded, and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again, and found it 15 fathoms. This is a technical talk, describing how near the ship is to land. Are we going to be beached? Are we going to hit a rock like the Titanic, are we going to sink? These are professional sailors, and yet their cargo was something unusual, and their greatest uh, passenger was the Apostle Paul. 29. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. They wished for the day. This isn't Paul speaking. This is Dr. Luke speaking about those on board. Unsaved Gentiles without a hope in the world. And yet, those of us which are saved, we have a great hope. We have a great sure foundation. We know that we are saved. But here they are, wishing for the day. They are very much at the end of their tether. 30. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under colour, as they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Except you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. So once again, 30, 31 are picturing those that board the ark. And once you get out of the ark, or until you board the ark, you cannot be saved. 
32. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Paul is very much in charge, and Paul is as cool as a cucumber. And you would have thought that this ship is about to crash, this ship is about to sink, and from Luke's perspective and those on board, they're all going to drown. And yet Paul is very much aware that he's got to go to Rome. And if he's going to go to Rome, they're going to go with him. And this is a great picture of not only divine protection, but almost covenant theology. And we get a chance to come back and explain more of that. Look at verse 34, please. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. Divine protection, God's promised to Paul that. Paul and co are going to be safe. But the condition, one more time, is to stay in the boat. The condition, one more time, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. 35. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. This is a public picture of grace. Praying in public, giving thanks to God in public. And for some people, that's not easy to do. And yet Paul was very much the exception. Paul was a great man and... He thought nothing of praying in public and he thought nothing of giving thanks to the Lord for the food that he'd been given in public as well. 36. Then were they all of good cheer and they took also some meat. They are pleased to see that they got food to receive and on top of that they are pleased that Paul is able to publicly pray and no doubt plant seeds. 37. And we were in all in the ship 200, three score and 16 souls. And again, the attention to detail is quite remarkable. It's almost as if Luke did a head count. And yet, of course, the Holy Ghost is inspiring him to write this account and to bring to his mind what he was able to recall. 38. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land. But they discovered a certain creek with a shore, into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. They're trying to find somewhere to put the ship down if you will it's like a plane that has run out of fuel and the captain of the plane is trying to find somewhere to land it 40 and when they had taken up the anchors they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made towards shore and falling into a place where two seas met they ran the ship aground and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves the boat is now destroyed and yet no one is going to lose their lives, unlike those that got on the Titanic, because God has promised Paul that all those on board are going to be safe, providing, providing, providing they stay on board, providing they get under the blood, providing they put the blood above the doorposts. Exodus chapter 12. Once the blood is put up, once the blood has been put on the sinner, you are safe. But until you put the blood over the doorposts, Exodus chapter 12, until you receive Christ's imputed righteousness, Romans 3 and 4, you are lost. And therefore here, provided you don't get off the boat, allow the boat to crash, you will perish. And that's why we can read these verses and take a spiritual application. Verse 42, And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. For the prisoners to escape would result in the death of the soldiers. That was found very clearly for Matthew 28 and Acts 
chapter 12 and also Acts chapter 16. The responsibility of the soldiers was to deliver the prisoners to their final destination. But 43 shows the Lord's sovereignty is very much in play here. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. The odds of escaping to land without drowning were pretty slim. The odds of everybody escaping and swimming to land were pretty much zero. Rocky waters, cold waters, dangerous waters. And of course, you know, this is a picture of the devil referred to as Leviathan. And the devil, no doubt, was trying to sink the boat. The devil was trying to kill Paul. And yet the Lord was able to overrule the devil. So 44 verses, not much doctrine, as I say, but you can read these verses and get a lot of spiritual application. But just a very final recap from 27. Paul and Luke board a ship. The captain of the ship, 27.1, is named. On top of that, some of the travelling companions, verse 2, are named. Verse 3, Paul has been shown kindness and grace. And yet, when Jonah boarded his ship, he almost caused that ship to sink. And uh, Jonah's ship crew were infuriated that he wasn't being open with them. What's going on? This ship is about to sink. What is the cause of it? And eventually, Jonah comes clean. Well, Jonah would go to the Ninevites and eventually preach the gospel to them, or at least call them to repent, and they did. And yet Paul didn't have to be forced or compelled to do this. He very much wanted to do it. He had a great love for the Gentiles. And within the first seven verses, you've got countries, you've got landmarks, you've got technical talk about how they were going to get from A to B. 10, you've got the first warning. 11, the first rejection. You've got 19, all hands to the pump. 21, the second warning. 22, God's amazing grace. 23, 24, Paul mentions the angel of God. Doesn't uh, explain who this angel is. Of course, we know it's Jesus Christ. I guess it's a need to know. Uh, there's no need for them to know that the angel of the Lord is a term for the deity of Christ. 25, Paul is an exceptional example. 26 also cross-reference back to 22, pictures Paul's apostolic foreknowledge. Paul still had the apostolic foreknowledge. He still knew what was occurring, what was going on. And like I say, by 28, he would do his last miracle. And that's it. No more miracles after Acts 28, because the New Testament was written. The apostles were almost dead, and therefore there was no more need to do miracles. The just should live by faith. Uh, 29, almost lost hope concerning those on board, not the Apostle Paul. 31, the ship again is a picture of Christ, a picture of Noah's Ark. A picture of those that board the ark during the Great Tribulation. 33, Paul is very much in charge, as called as a cucumber. 34, divine protection reaffirms that not a hair from any of their heads will fall. In other words, their lives will be preserved. 35, public grace in the presence of unsaved Gentiles. And for today, that would be a picture of a saved person receiving food in the presence of unsaved people. On top of Paul arriving safely to Malta, 28.1. From 37, you got 276 other people. And I guess that reference to 276 would include Paul. So 276 people 
have boarded this ship. It's gone through very rocky waters. The devil has tried to sink the boat. And yet, again, the Lord has stepped in, kept Paul and his traveling companions safe. And they finally arrive, 44, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. They're going to try and glide to shore or they're going to try and paddle to shore. I would think that some of these people couldn't even swim. Whether Paul could swim or not, we're not told. Whether Dr. Luke could swim or not, we're not told. But the distance from where the ship uh, finally comes to rest to Malta, maybe be a couple of miles, I don't know. I've got the measurements uh, to hand. I'm not sure we've been told the exact measurements per se, but they make it safely to land. And the final part from verse 44, And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. And so it came to pass that those that got saved stayed saved. And so it came to pass that those that went into the tribulation and got saved in the tribulation didn't lose their salvation but received a reward. When the king came back, Matthew 25, and off they went into the millennial kingdom. So 44 verses and we are still on track to conclude Acts of the Apostles in 13 months. And by my reckoning, this entire Study this entire series of readings will be just under 30 hours long. So I will finish there in verse 44 and God willing we'll pick it up next week in Acts 28.